Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks so much for joining us on Second Captains at the Irish Times. Just myself and Ken Erdy today. Murph is on holidays, but we'll barrel on, Ken. Hopefully the Murph loyalists won't immediately switch off. Both of Murph's loyalists. Yeah, well... Tony and Francis's parents. <laughs> and I'm, I'm Tony and Francis hopefully still with us today. Yeah. Uh, for one more... They'll stick with us. ...episode without Murph. Not sure how much American sports radio you listen to, um, but they often kick things off by articulating a controversial often polarising position on the big sports story of the day. Yeah. They then feed off the reaction for the rest of their, they're often rather lengthy shows. Yeah. yeah. Do they fully 100% believe in what they're saying? Who knows, Ken? Yeah, yeah. In that vein, may I begin by making a suggestion? Oh, go, go on. Is it going to be controversial? Oh, is it controversial? Right. I believe Saturday should be cancelled this weekend. Saturday. The, the, just the day. There's no need for it. It's so just purpose. go straight from Friday to Sunday. Yeah, you see what's happening on Sunday, right? Do you do you have a day after Sunday to compensate? No, you just lose a day. Okay. It just doesn't exist. It's a six-day week. Right. Um, you see, you've got to look at what's off, on offer on Sunday. The title decider in the Premier League right. between Liverpool and Chelsea. That's sandwiched in between a relegation battle between Sunderland and Cardiff and Man City's game against Crystal Palace, which will be significant if Liverpool lose to Chelsea. Yes. Um, the league finals are on in Gaelic football, Dublin against Derry mm. and Donegal against Monaghan what's sure to be a feisty encounter and the Heineken Cup semi-final Munster go to Marseille to play Toulon surely we can do without Saturday just this one time skip ahead but what's on I mean what, the great thing about Saturday is that we can use it to do whatever else is going you know to pay attention to whatever else is going on in our lives I mean I would say even the, the time spent waiting for that big Sunday will um that's all part of the, the pleasure oh, maybe, as well. Yeah. yeah, almost like the way Christmas Eve is significantly more enjoyable than Christmas Day. Apologies yeah. <laughs> to any of my family members listening. <laughs> just Christmas Eve, the thought of spending all that time with your family—it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so, all I'm going to say is Christmas Day is a long day. Everybody, everybody's dreams will still be alive on Saturday okay. evening, um, and then half of them will be will be dead. This is good, Ken. You clearly do listen to American Sports Radio because you've done what the the sidekick would do. They would disagree with the initial comment. Yeah. I'll just send the listeners into a furious rage. Yeah, yeah. Although I think we've we've almost reached consensus. (laughs) I think we've got consensus here. Let's move on. We'll be talking about the Munster game with Lancer Shane Jennings in studio. He obviously played against Toulon a couple of weeks ago, so should have a good insight into what Leinster need to do, what Munster need to do. Jason Quigley has been on the show a couple of times, Ken. Yeah. You're, you're the, the Donegal boxer. Yeah, Jason Quigley. I remember he came on and he just won a medal of some kind, I, I think. think. it was after the European Championships we first spoke to him. And, you know, outstanding performance from this, gold, yeah. from this young athlete. Uh, Kieran Murphy uh, immediately started yokeling about... Uh, how many pints did he have last night? Uh, well, I'm sure it was a big night in the Glen or whatever the oh, equivalent he did have was. A slightly hoarse voice when he spoke to us. Yeah, I mean, what I, I don't know what time of day it was. He was off in Kazakhstan or somewhere like that, maybe. <laughs> and uh, Kieran evidently was, uh, you know, assumed that uh, he he was now on on the ale 
on the bother for, for I suppose, the rest of his time out there and probably the next couple of weeks. Uh, Jason Grigley said, well, actually, I don't drink. Yeah, I, am a, I am a pretty serious athlete, so uh, none of that uh, soul poison for me. Thanks very much. He is going professional with Golden Boy Promotions and their serious heavy hitters over there, uh, which indicates what sort of a prospect he's thought to be. It does mean that he's going to give up a shot at the Rio Olympics, so we'll have Johnny Watterson in studio to chat through this. Huge hurling story this week, crazy stuff going on in Limerick. Donal O'Grady is their joint manager, was their joint manager. He has resigned. Now, TJ Ryan, his uh, the other manager, stays on, but not without himself criticising their county board. Just briefly... And to recap, if you haven't been following what's been happening, or to recap, if you have been following, it stems from a meeting in which the managers had to explain, or they're dragged in, they're told, they're asked to explain why they failed to win promotion, what happened in the league. The county board secretary then came out and claims that the managers had apologised, had almost whimperingly apologised to the county board for the abysmal failures of the league. O'Grady and Ryan were heard about this um, because these reports came out in the media and they said, hang on, we never said anything like that. And we're appalled and alarmed. So they demanded that the board retract those comments. The board said, yeah, OK, we will actually do that. Yeah, you're right. We will retract. But you are going to have to, in the same statement in which we retract this apology that apparently never happened, you are going to have to publicly state that you take full responsibility and accountability for failing to achieve promotion. Uh, this all went on. The, the O'Grady was under the impression that the day after they had their final meeting with the county board, there would just be a simple one line or there would be an apology. Uh, it hasn't happened. The county board say, well, we look for mediation and O'Grady wasn't interested in that. So they're gone. Uh, well, sorry, he's gone. O'Grady's gone. TJ Ryan stays on. In hurting terms, this is pretty big because they were Munster champions last year. As Clare and Cork were, were fighting it out for the All-Ireland title, it was easy to forget that Limerick won their provincial title and hammered Cork in the final. So that's the kind of level that we're talking about. It's not too, too much of a stretch to say that they could be All-Ireland contenders this year, but they've lost one of their managers. We'll talk about that with Nicky English in just a little while. But Ken, last night's Champions League. Yeah. Uh, pretty impotent stuff from Bayern. Well, I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, Bayern, I wouldn't say impotent. Yeah, more that they just couldn't find the opening. Um, you know, I mean, it was interesting to see that the top level of European football, I mean, the four best teams in Europe, I suppose, the teams with the best results in the top competition, all getting to semi-finals, and out of four teams, three of them are defensive counter-attacking teams, mm-hmm. and Bayern were the only ones who were really trying to, you know, make the, to create the game, to to play the game in the attacking way with the ball. Okay, we've got the ball. Let's see what we can do with it. Um, it didn't ultimately work out for them. Although, if you look back, Mario Götze had a very good chance late in the second half. He should have put that chance away, and if he had one-one. That's a great result for well, it's a decent result for Bayern. Um, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say. So you're not as critical as Bayern. Uh, no, as I don't. No, I, don't, I think it's a bit. I think it's a bit much. I mean, to take the only team who took a really positive approach because it is a positive approach. I mean, you could say it's cautious. You could say it's too cautious. They're not uh, shooting enough. There's too many passes. Tony Kroos has 99 touches in the first half. I think more than any Real Madrid player. Or, you know, it's the usual thing with Tony Cross. Oh, Tony Cross has more touches of the ball than all of the other team put together. That's usually the, the statistics, some variation of that. And, and no one can remember any of them, apart from the, the one shot that he had, which ended up with Benzema scoring uh, the goal for Real Madrid at the other end of that move. Um, you know, if at what point does domination without actually scoring or making the goalkeeper make many saves actually become a little bit embarrassing. I mean, what are you doing with all those touches? What are all the, what are you, what's the point of all that? Um, that is the argument that you can make about Bayern, but I think it would be, I think it would be harsh to pillory the one side out of the four who really did try to take the game to their opposition in a, in a comprehensive and constructive way. Um, just because they ultimately didn't score because Madrid played well, played really well. Um, because they didn't score, because they didn't win, to criticise them harshly for that. Hold on a second. That's our patented second captain's wolf hell right there, which of course means it's competition time. Ken, first of all, what is, if I could ask you for your favourite bank, what is your favourite bank? I would say KBC. Oh, fine choice. And your favourite type of bank account? 
Probably the KBC regular saver account. It's a weird coincidence because with the help of KBC, we are offering one lucky listener the chance to win a €500 cash prize. That money can then be exchanged for goods and services, Ken, which as a keen sports fan, I believe you are a supporter of. I like money. (laughs) But that's not all, Ken, because that money will come in, uh, or will come in a specially limited edition second captain's P-Bezo mug, along with the super slick second captain's darts, which we've got our hands on. Just like in the critically acclaimed 1980s hit TV show Bullseye. You are spoiling the moment. To enter the competition, just visit irishtimes.com forward slash second captains where you'll see the link. For more information, visit the KBC regular saver page on kbc.ie. Terms and conditions apply. And I don't need to tell you, Ken, that KBC Bank uh, Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Uh, that's great. Uh, is, that, is that serious? That, I mean, everything you've just said there is, is true. We're giving away 500 euros in a, in a mug with darts. It's all good, Ken. Okay. It's all good. It's a pretty good price. Now, we want to get a little bit more insight into the task that faces Munster on Sunday. No better person to talk to than Shane Jennings, who was part of the Leinster team, well beaten by Toulon in the quarterfinals. Shane, thanks very much for taking the time to call in. Not at all. Thank you for having me. Unfortunately, we have to relive a pretty difficult defeat because we want to talk a bit about um, what you think Munster can expect and what they can actually do against Toulon. But what's the mood in Leinster been like since then? Does it... Uh, when you're knocked out of the primary competition like that, does it get did it knock the stuffing out of the team? Yeah, it does. Um, pretty dark few days, to be honest. Uh, and I think the manner in which we were defeated also doesn't help um, when we came in on Monday and obviously over the course of the weekend, how we felt post-game. Um, I think everybody says we didn't play that well, which we didn't play that well. I'd be the first to admit that a lot of individuals didn't play well and then collectively we didn't play as we wanted it. But we didn't, I think Matt said it, we didn't fire a shot. And that, that, that's that's probably the most frustrating thing about the whole thing. You don't mind if you give it a lash and you actually say, do you know what, we gave it a good uh, we gave it a good go there. And you kind of, you're defeated by a better team. But we were certainly defeated by a better team, but we didn't give ourselves a, a fair crack at it. And that, that's tough to take, you know, and uh, and that's our fault. That's nobody else's fault, you know. So you got to live with it. And uh, like I said, there's a few dark days going over the game. There's a, a kind of a, a bit of an understanding of what went on and how we can improve on it. And then there's the realisation that we're still, we still are in a tournament and that we want, obviously, to win the league. So uh, it won't fully right the wrong that happened but it certainly will be very enjoyable if we can get to semi-finals and finals and have a big day out Does it hurt a team's I don't know if ego is the right word but does it hurt the team's ego more when you lose to a huge team like that who who physically probably dominate the game? Um, I don't know if it's an ego thing Um I think like from a personal point of view you know you go into a game and, and you want to impose yourself in the manner in which way you think you can help your team overcome the opposition. And I think there's a lot of people in Leinster that feel that way. I think we, we feel that we have a lot of quality in our team. And when we get going, we know that we're a difficult opposition to play against. Um, uh, maybe that's one way of saying it. I'm probably, I don't know if I'm dodging the question, but that's the way we would certainly feel. And, you know, from played Claremont before, we felt we've given it a good crack. Maybe over there, we've we've played better than we had done in uh, Toulon. And at home, obviously, we've played very well against them and things like that. But um, we didn't impose our game. And that that's quite tough to take when you come back and you go, we didn't, we didn't do anything. You know, I look at the game and I still get pissed off when I look back at individual errors that I did that I wouldn't do in other games and I don't know why I did them and uh, that's really tough to take and like missed tackles and things like that and and we'll probably talk later on about how good Toulon are and, mm. but that allows them momentum to get into a game and if they get that momentum they're extremely difficult to stop because it just keeps coming and coming you know so uh, yeah it, it's it's tough to get, a, get past but I think hopefully success in the league will We'll uh, put it to bed, but um, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, just before we move on from uh, Leinster's performance against Toulon, it's interesting you say you made mistakes, you're not quite sure why that happened. Was the build-up any different than any other day? Was there anything remotely that explains maybe why it happened? No, um, I think we were very well prepared. I thought we had a good week in training. Uh, We knew what they were going to bring. I think, not that we didn't, we certainly didn't underestimate them, but I don't think they've played as well as they probably had played against us in previous games. Uh, they're very impressive, and like they deserve a lot of credit for where they played. Um, I think it was bizarre that it was 6-all or 9-all at half-time when we went in, considering the amount of pressure they'd put on us. And that gave us a lot of confidence, but uh, they didn't stop. They were very relentless in what they did, and uh, we had no answer for it. But um, I know 
some people in the media said that we didn't walk through some tunnel that the players walked through or something like that. Yeah, that was actually mentioned on this show um, possibly elsewhere that yeah, uh, yeah there's, there was a, a, almost a gladiatorial style entrance that all the Toulon players walked through and Leinster kind of came in the side door. Yeah, if we'd have known if, if, well, if players in Leinster had known things like that it doesn't make any difference. We, we were on a bus, we were told where to go, so you certainly don't lose a game in the week leading up to it, you certainly don't lose a game on the bus or not going through any tunnel, you lose a game on the pitch, and we lost a game on the pitch. We didn't match their intensity, and uh, their physical dominance kind of took its toll on us, and you, you saw them break away in the last, now they got breakaway tries, but you saw in the last 20 minutes they got a lot of turnovers, and we were just battered, we were tired, and uh, unfortunately, because we never imposed ourselves they had a bit more extra legs and they uh, they took it away in the end. But it's certainly not something you lose, like I said, in a run-up to a game or it's an intimidating environment. It's actually a brilliant environment to play in. And I know the Munster lads who have played there before will probably uh, understand that. It's unbelievable. It's it's unbelievably hot as well, which I don't think people may, may understand. So like that adds to it as well. But the atmosphere is electric and uh, they're the venues you want to play in. And it's just unfortunate when you get the opportunity to play in a place like that, you don't give it a fair crack. And I think that's what we did. Shane, when you look at Munster and what they have to stop from Toulon, you've, you've mentioned physicality. It seems certainly obvious watching it. When you're in against that, do Munster have to almost accept, look, we're not going to be the physically dominant team here. We're not going to win all the collisions and almost recalibrate their thinking. I know that's not really what, how a rugby player should think, but are these guys just bigger and stronger than any team you faced? Um, well, from my point of view, they are, yeah. Uh, I've never come across uh, a pack as big as them. And in fairness, you look at some of their backs, they're maybe not the tallest, but they're pr- pretty wide. Uh, but definitely the pack is probably the biggest pack I've ever played against. And they're athletic and they can play and they understand the enormity of the occasion and because they've been there before, there's a lot of World Cup winners, there's a lot of test match players in that squad who understand what big games, what you have to do and I think that's probably the difference from a lot of the other teams that are going around Europe. They might have big names but I don't think they've been in that atmosphere and there's not that expectation to deliver that they understand. Um, Having played Munster, I know Munster are probably the most physical team that we play against every year and I play against every year. Uh, Every breakdown when you play against Munster is a battle. Every confrontation is is extremely physical you know so I think they're going to be well able to do that it's just a matter if they can impose their game and can hold on to the ball and if they get a bit of momentum as in go through a few phases and implement what they want to do they've as good a chance as anybody you know but it's a big ask when you have big men hitting you when you're trying to do those things and they're very good at the breakdown and everybody gives Armitage a lot of credit and he deserves it but there's other guys in the team like Juan Smith uh, Fernandez Labe these kind of guys that are very very good the prop that uh, I can't remember his name but the prop that got a turnover against us is very low centre of gravity so they've got a number of guys that can do it and then obviously Basteroid in the backs as well who uh, who is pretty physically dominant when he gets over the ball and he's extremely tough to take so um, like Munster have been here before and, and obviously they're very well coached and they've guys like Paul who will be instrumental to what they do and I can see them having a huge performance and uh, I think it's going to be very very close because as much as I don't want to say it Munster can raise their game in these games and they can physically compete with teams we've seen it before they wiped the floor with Toulouse and uh, it was impressive what they did you know I know Toulouse aren't the same animal as Toulon but you got to give Munster credit for what they did to them they actually blew them out of the water so yeah I think it's going to be very very close and uh I don't think I'll enjoy watching it too much because I'll be jealous. You'll be jealous of Munster if they go and do it. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'm jealous of them being in a uh, in a semi final. You know, uh, I think it's natural when any rugby player looks at rivals in their own country or in their own league or where you want to be, and you're not there. It's very very tough to take. You know, so uh, yeah. I'm certainly jealous and uh, I'd like to be there and probably play better than we did the time before but obviously that's not to be and it's in their hands so good luck to them. You mentioned Bastero there. He's been around for a long time and he's always had the size. I don't know if if he's always had the same impact that he's having at the moment. Do you notice anything that he's doing differently or that maybe it's the team he's with? Yeah, maybe. uh, To be fair, that was my first time ever playing against the guy and I didn't understand maybe how good he was and I couldn't understand how he gained so many yards when he carried every time but having played against him I understand it now he's he's very difficult to tackle and you say yeah I'll go low but if you go low he'll just put you into the ground you know so um, you can't give him space and he's a good defender to be fair to him uh, he's quite deceptive just because he looks like a bit of a tubby guy which he's not he's uh, he's very very quick over the ground and uh, yeah a lot of credit has to go to the way he's playing because he has a lot of critics and uh 
all he's doing is pretty much good stuff at the moment. Does that know? happen sometimes, Shane, where you're watching somebody, you've seen them on TV quite a lot or whatever it might be, and you think, I'm not sure about this guy, you know. <laughs> and then you actually played him and you think, well, it's a little bit different when you're out there trying to tackle 100%, him. 100%, yeah. 100%, yeah. And uh, I think that's where you've got to give credit to the guy, you know. Everybody thinks he's a bit overweight and this kind of thing. He's not. He, he can move, he can play, and uh, he deserves a lot of credit for the way he's playing because he's pretty instrumental, instrumental to the way they play. It sounds like what you're talking about here isn't any sort of grand tactical plan it doesn't sound as though Munster are going to be too surprised by anything that Toulon do am I right in saying that but it's just a matter of yeah, preparing for it yeah. 100% uh, even from doing analysis on them there's a few moves that they play uh, around Armitage off the back of the line and these kind of guys I don't know whether Masoi is available for selection or not but uh what they do is they just try and steamroll you and, and they try and get into the game by big forwards carrying the ball, getting over the gain line, going around the corner, getting over the gain line again and that's going to draw numbers into the breakdown and then they'll have a bit of space where they've got good players where Wilkinson can decide whether to put it into the corners or give it out where they can maybe uh, penetrate the line that way. You know, So it's direct, it's simple, but it's effective and it's, it is difficult to stop if you don't get your first up tackles which unfortunately Leinster learned and uh, we didn't do well and, and that gave them that opportunity to get into the game and obviously if you're on the back foot they're more than happy to take three points and they'll just chip away and uh, I think they'll be very, very happy to win by a point or three points or a penalty. They don't care what way they win, they'll just, they'll just look to dominate and win. Munster, um, it's been said this week that the players are going to have to play possibly the games of their careers, almost play above themselves, which they have done in the past. So it's not necessarily beyond them. But is that a, in some ways quite a positive way to go into a match? You think, right, I have to play better than I've ever played, uh, however realistic that is. And if I do that, I can be part of a winning team here. Is that what a player wants to be feeling? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a great way to go into a game because... To be fair, probably not many people give them a, a chance of winning down there. So they're going in as underdogs. I think a lot of people in Ireland realise that, you know, if Toulon think that way, they're going to they're gonna kind of get caught with their pants down. Because uh, anybody who underestimates Munster are going to lose, you know. So, And I think, I think Toulon did their homework on us and they were prepared for us. And I think they played, they played probably the best that they had done in quite some time from doing some analysis on them. Uh, I would be surprised if they're that naive not to uh, rate Munster the way they should do. So uh, it makes for a great game. And uh, yeah, going to win it? Yeah. I, re- <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. I, I, as much as I say I'd like to see Munster win, as a Leinster man, I'm going to struggle to see them in a the final. But uh, having talked to other guys, and I think nobody really enjoys the way Toulon have bought their success over the years. And it would be nice to see an Irish team in the final. So uh Reluctantly, I say Munster, but good on them for going there, and uh, I hope they can get it. Munster to put off a shock. All right, Shane Jennings, brilliant stuff. Thanks Cheers, so much. Thank you. I want to book a holiday. I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat, and nice dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want, no, I have to be beach ready. So I need to be a regular saver. KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make savings simple. So you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call 1-800-515253 or pop into any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Hope you enjoyed that chat. I thought that was a really interesting insight myself into what it takes to play against these guys. And I also liked how honest Shane was about his own feelings when watching this match because it's easy to assume that all the Irish players are sitting there in Belfast or in Dublin or in Galway and cheering on the boys in red this weekend. But it turns out it's not quite as simple as that. And Shane Jennings admitted to that he would have mixed feelings watching and it'll be hard to watch and that he'll be jealous of watching Munster play in the semi-final the only thing I would say is that you might think that when you have three Heineken medals in your back pocket those feelings might ease somewhat but it's understandable Ken isn't it that you're watching you're thinking well, we should be out there it never gets any easier watching Munster is that what you, is that what you feel isn't that the uh, that's how it is for these Leinster players yeah well probably well it doesn't it's not easy watching them when you're knocked out of a competition and they could go on even more difficult alright their uh, European champion and world super medalist Jason Quigley is leaving amateur boxing behind after a blazing trail really last couple of years he's going to go pro and if you are going to go professional you may as well do it in style he signed up with Golden Boy Promotions the Golden Boy in question there being the legendary Oscar De La Hoya Johnny Watterson of the Irish Times is here to talk about this Johnny thanks for popping in 
Okay, on. No problem. Uh, you said in your piece today, you said Jason Quigley has fallen for the million dollar smile of Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy promotions. Do I detect a small bit of doubt about whether this is the right move? There's always doubt when amateurs turn professional and you can go back over the years and look at the ones who made it and the ones who didn't. Um, if you look at one who did, the most recent would be Bernard Dunn. Uh, Brian Peters brought him from being not very well known up to world champion. It's all about how they're managed, what opponents they get and how they're supported when they're living in another country. I think in that respect, Oscar De La Hoya will be good. Um, he has a lot of big name boxers in, in his stable. Uh, he's well respected. But at the back of that, everyone knows it's a ruthless game. <laughs> And you have to factor that in as well. And Jason Quigley will make it as a professional in the ring. If he's good, he'll go. And if he's not, he won't. And that's how ruthless it is. 79 listed professionals on Oscar De La Hoya's book. So this is the kind of the decision that I guess a boxer has to make, uh, like Jason Quigley. Do you go in with maybe a smaller stable, not quite as renowned as Golden Boy Promotions, where you might be the main man or one of the main men, or do you or do you row in behind this group with incredible clout, incredible name recognition, where realistically you're going to be just one of a number of, of guys? I think it depends on your personality. Um, certainly it was described to me yesterday as Golden Boy being the Coolmore of boxing. And where John Joe and Evan went, Green Blood has been a niche stable. So John Joe clearly went for familiarity, other Irish boxers and a smaller setup. Whereas Jason's gone for the Big Bang, the, mm. the Hollywood, the Vegas, the Oscar De La Hoya. Um, it's exciting when you say it, it like that. It's exciting. And if he makes it in that environment, he'll be rewarded probably better than John Joe will. Um, he certainly has the support structure. He has the connections which are vital in, in professional boxing and that would be De La Hoya. The fact that they've gone for him, that the, the Golden Boy Promotions have picked him up would indicate what sort of a prospect they believe he is. Can you maybe outline where he's at in his career now, what he's achieved in the amateur game and how that may transfer to the pro ranks? Well, Jason just broke out in the last 18 months from, from amateur boxing. It took him a while to win the Irish Senior title, which he did last year. But straight from that... He won the European Championship at amateur level. Straight after the European Championship in Minsk last summer, he went to the World Championships in Kazakhstan and he made it to the final, the first Irish boxer to do that. So if you if you look at his amateur career in one year, it's been absolutely spectacular. Mm. And De La Hoya, who was an amateur fighter himself and an Olympic gold medalist, would recognise the qualities that Jason has. He can punch, he can box, he's durable, he has a great constitution in that he trains, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink. So th they would weigh up all those things and his style is attractive. He, he, I think he can go to war. We don't know because in amateur boxing they don't allow boxers to go to war for, for longer than nine minutes. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of the, the factors we don't know yet. But it sounds like all, all the ingredients are there, hopefully, and he seems to have a level head as well. The downside to this is that he misses out in the Olympic Games and I, get, I, I would assume that that was going to be a big factor in his in his thinking. Uh, ultimately, he's decided that, OK, the Olympics a couple of years out, I'm just going to go for it now. I'm young. I'm going to try and make an impact in the pro game. It's a big call to make. Bernard Dunn, you mentioned, he's another guy who, who never got to fight in the Olympics. I think he was over was it in Sydney and uh, as, a, as a sort of first reserve and it wasn't a great experience. So mm -hmm. he never um, got to do what his, his dad had done. It is something that when you come to the end of your career, I'm sure you look back on and would wish that you have, had fought in Olympic Games. But... Um, how central would would that have been? Do you think in the conversations that went on? I think that I think people like Jason and John Joe probably can see the way the Olympics are going, and there's great change happening in the Olympic Games in terms of how boxers qualify. At the moment, it's still pretty fluid and a little confusing, if you ask me. But it's moving towards professional boxers getting into the Olympics, and it's becoming harder for amateurs to qualify. For example, to qualify for Rio, they're probably going to have to get to a final or win the World Championships to get one of the slots for Rio mm. because a whole batch of those slots in Rio are going to go to WSB boxers who are professional boxers. So that, to keep it simple, there's a change in amateur boxing moving towards professional boxing. Yeah. And because of that, 
they're allowing professional boxers to qualify for Rio, which squeezes the amateur side. So and squeezes like the numbers. might be looking at it and saying, well, it's going to be hard enough to qualify. Uh, there's no guarantee I'm going to be at an Olympic Games. So it's not like he's just definitely giving up a, a shot at an Olympic medal. Absolutely. And I, was, I spoke to Ke- Kenneth Egan yesterday, and that was the point he made. He said, look, there's still lots of talent in Irish boxing. John Joe and, and Jason will be badly missed, but there are boxers there who can medal. But qualifying for Rio is the nightmare at this point, and they've got to get them to Brazil. Once they're in Brazil, there's a good chance that people like Michael Conlon, Paddy Barnes, Joe Ward particularly, will have a shot at winning medals once they're there. Once a, a guy leaves the Irish amateur boxing stable, is it a fairly brutal end in the sense that um, it, it's just it's just done, and I'm sure everybody wishes him well, but he's a professional boxer now, and that's it, really? Is it, is it almost like two completely separate worlds? Yes, it, it cut off completely. Yeah. Different lifestyle, probably a different country for Jason, don't know yet. Um, hopefully he'll have his father coaching him, as he has done in previous years. Um, it is a different life. It's There are different demands, uh, different training, and a different way of boxing. So, you know, Jason, for the next number of months and years, will be learning how to eventually fight 12 rounds, fight without a head guard. The first time Jason fought without a head guard was the World Championships. Prior to that, the amateurs wore head guards. So things like that. Has he got a chin? Does he cut easily? We don't know these yeah. things yet. And, and he has to learn those and go through that process in a professional gym. You mentioned John Joe Nevin there and... He's in a situation now where I guess we have to wait and see how he comes back from the horrible injuries that were inflicted upon him recently. Yeah, John Joe obviously has has been his career curve has been badly damaged. I think his injuries, talking to some rugby players who've had similar injuries, are things you get over. It has it will hold him back six months anyway, and assuming that the bones mend correctly. Uh, The rugby players who had broken legs have come back okay. It has certainly delayed his career but I I know there was a lot of talk about could it end his career, how's it going to affect him. It's just such a shocking thing when it happens you're thinking a professional athlete, professional boxer there is that straight away, I have to say straight away I feared uh, uh, you know, what does this actually mean long term but hopefully it's, it's, at the end of the day it's the type of injury that sports people can actually get in normal circumstances and it's possible to return from in exactly. a reasonable time frame, hopefully. Absolutely. The savagery of the beating w- w- was one thing, but the, the actual medical side of it is another. And I think that's the way he has to look at it. And hopefully this is in the past now. It's delayed his career and he's not going to do much over the summer as he'd hoped to do. Mm. But if it's straightforward, as we're led to believe, he will get over it and he, he will be able to come back. All going well. Well, listen, Johnny, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. OK, and thank you. Andrew, that's the question. That's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight. Tonight. Into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. Second Captains Football. Available on irishtimes.com, Second Captains, and iTunes from 6 p.m. tonight. 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 Yeah, with John Joe Nevin, the mental recovery is going to be as significant as what happens physically. It's good to hear that there's no reason why he shouldn't make a good recovery in the next few months physically. But hopefully, he can get back on the get back on the horse there. It, because these two guys, Nevin and Quigley, they're among the best in the world at what they do, and there are a lot of boxers out there, a lot of amateur boxers. So to rise to the very top as they have done is impressive. Let's hope they can both um, forge pretty impressive pro careers as well. It's interesting also that the Olympics are now so hard to qualify for that you're not necessarily giving up a spot. At the, it's, There's no guarantee, even if you're as good as Jason Quigley, that you're going to qualify. But you are giving up a decent existence by going professional. Johnny's piece today, Ken, states that the Sports Council uh, give a grant of €40,000 to Quigley. That's the, the podium grant, the top grant. He also has a Sky scholarship worth €30,000 and a sponsored car which isn't bad for an amateur athlete, <laughs> getting 70 grand on a car to drive around in. Yeah, that's not too bad, all right? Um, yeah, um, isn't it? It's pretty good. Yeah, but I, I guess if you are a successful professional boxer, you can have oh, multiples. a lot more than that. So Yeah, I know it is the argument, though. Do you stick? I, I, think it's, I think it's great. I think that somebody should explore their full potential. Um, but no, I'm just saying that it's not like even, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago when really there was no call to be made if you... There was you weren't getting. I don't know if the grants even existed at that stage. Mm. You were certainly not getting much money as an amateur. It really was strictly amateur. 
and going professional was the only way to do it. Whereas now you can have a decent enough life for quite a few years there um, while living in the comfort of your own home and all the rest of it. So it's it's good. It, I'm just saying that you actually are giving something up as opposed to it just being, right, there's, there's nothing for me at amateur level. I better have to go pro to make any money. Yeah, it's good to see the athletes or amateur boxers getting looked after like that. I'm sure a lot of the other athletes are probably <laughs> a little bit jealous about that. I, but I, I suppose the thing is, win start, a lot of medals in the Olympics and, yeah. and suddenly... Uh, to those uh, that have more shall be given. All right, enough of that, Ken. Tell us what's coming up in your Champions League second captain's football later. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you managed to stay alive for six days? I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field. I'm going to see them. What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? Well, there are two main things this week. Uh, One of them being the Champions League semi-finals, which one goal over 180 minutes. A little bit disappointing from that point of view, but a lot to talk about. So we'll talk about them. Uh, There's obviously we're going to be looking forward to this weekend. There's a big game on. Uh, at Anfield um, the other thing we'll be talking about is the Van, uh, Louis van Gaal um, who appears now to be the front runner the for dream the, team of Louis van Gaal Roy Keane this is the thing that's being yeah, I mean I haven't seen any hard evidence of that but you know a few journalists um, a few of the regular Manchester journalists I mean it's difficult to know with something like that where does it where does it originate are people repeating other people's hunch or you know rumour or is there something a little bit more concrete to that it would be a uh, an odd one. Um, there doesn't even need to be anything concrete to start a story, though. I mean, you see, you even see that um, Martin O'Neill was doing uh, some sort of promotion yesterday and he was asked about it and he said, look, I don't know anything about it. So he didn't really add to it. But David Myler did. David mm-hmm. Myler was asked, uh, you know, would Roy Keane be a good number two at Man United? I'm sure Myler was thinking, well, is he not number yeah. two with my team Ireland at the moment? Yeah. And um, he's, but he was... Of course he would. He'd be brilliant. He'd sort a few heads out in there, kind of exclamation yeah, mark. So he handled it as well as he could. But even then, that that's then a story. David Myler says that Roy Keane would be great as Man United's <laughs> number two. Yeah, I mean, look, he's got no pre-existing relationship of any kind with Louis van Gaal. But I think he pretty much had no pre-existing relationship with Martin O'Neill when that deal was announced. And could he do two jobs? Could he? Oh do? no, come on, don't be ridiculous. I think I think if he two number two roles. Didn't John Toshak manage Wales and somebody else at the same time once? Um, I think he may have, but I'm not saying that you know, Martin O'Neill could do two jobs, but as the assistant? Um, no, I don't. I don't. I really don't think so. I mean, I think that. Uh, did, I'm trying to think. Did Hiddink do it? As a, as a number one, some managers have done that. Now mm. it's ludicrous. But, but, no, but I don't think. It, I don't think that would work. I think you'd have to ditch the Ireland. Ireland number two job say look you know uh, been really great learning experience for me but maybe this is a bigger job although you know would, wouldn't necessarily the job of being the assistant to Louis van Gaal who doesn't maybe doesn't really even need an assistant the kind of guy who is very dictatorial wants to do everything his own way you know would it be good being the assistant there and then of course he got a deal with Ryan Giggs ah Ryan Giggs a lot of people tweeting me the last couple of days comparing Ryan Giggs to Frank Underwood in House of Cards. <laughs> we can't talk too much about that for risk of spoiling it for people who haven't seen it. Mm. Uh, if you have seen the original UK version um, from 20, 25 years ago. He knows how to play the political system, Frank Underwood. That's what we will say. He's a guy with... Um, uh, he's got a kind of a superhero power when it comes to political manoeuvring. And, yeah, uh, I don't know, Giggs is... Giggs is, I would say, ahead of Roy Keane in the running for any jobs that are going. I've seen quite a few uh, bits and bobs now where Ryan Giggs explains his management philosophy. There was one in the Guard, was it the Guardian? One it was Stuart James in the Guardian. I've been along to a, a course, a, the coaching course that Giggs was doing. I saw him. The, there have been clips that Sky have showed of a, an interview or two that he's done. He did one with was was it Jeff Shrees? I can't remember who it was with, but he spoke um, in 
well, should have been in detail about what he believes management to be about. Now, I know it's kind of hard when you haven't actually started doing it yet. Yeah. It's maybe too hard to have really firm ideas. But so far, I've heard Ron Giggs speak in incredibly vague terms about <laughs> what makes a good manager and what he believes about coaching. What he said in the in the interview with Stuart James as well, you know, it's been a real eye-opener for me to, to see that some of the lads here, you can see Graham Kavanagh was in the photograph with him. And they were obviously on a course together. Okay. Um but uh, that, uh, you know, we, we've got, you know, I think he said six sports scientists at Man United. And, not, you know, a lot of the lads, they don't have that at all. It's been a real eye-opener for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Graham Cavanaugh doesn't have six sports scientists <laughs> Carlisle. at hand, yeah. Um, you, you Four know. sports psychologists all vying with each other to get Graham's ear. There, there, you know, I mean, I don't know if, if Ryan Giggs maybe has, has, to an extent, been living in a bit of a bubble for his entire life. As a, arriving at Manchester United, what, what age is he? Twelve, already a superstar, uh, already uh, you know a guy who was clearly going to be. Uh, I mean, what 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 was it? Alex Ferguson, George Graham. What was it? I had the story about Ferguson. Ferguson told told it again in his book, I think, um, saying, "I'll tell you, that's a player. That's Fer-, you know Ferguson, the uh, young Ryan Wilson, as he then was." Uh, and Ferguson says to George Graham, "He happens to be there. Oh, I'll tell you." That's a that's a player. I mean, the kind of the kind of nod and winks that are you know between two football men, two mm-hmm. Scottish football men. That that means you know this guy is like the second coming of Christ in, <laughs> in football uh, terms. And uh, years later, Graham said to him, "Whatever happened to that young man that you told me about, Ryan, young Ryan Wilson, wasn't it? I've never forgotten the name." And Ferguson chuckled and said, "Well, he changed his name, George." Ryan Giggs is what he goes by now, and George Graham is just blown away. Anyway, the point is, there was Ryan Giggs. What age was he? I mean, he's you know pubescent at that stage, and he's already being talked about in reverential tones by people like Alex Ferguson and George Graham. Yeah, uh, you know, here he is, age forty, uh, and in all the time in between, he's just become more and more wealthy, famous, and successful. Uh, which is a which is an amazing life. He's had an incredible life, but is it, however, the widest possible range of experience that someone might like to have? Is there, if you're going to go in to a job like management where you're managing a load of people who have, you come from different, have had different types of maybe lives. if he gets a Man United job, he would be he could have a 25 year stint as Manchester United's most successful ever manager. Yeah, or he doesn't get that job, has to go to Hull. Yeah. Stinks the place out. <laughs> <laughs> He's perfectly adapted to the ecosystem of Manchester United. He actually knows that better than anyone. But maybe, maybe the thing that Ryan Giggs should do is rather than go and do, do his, you know, further coaching qualifications, because I think he's already got a pro license, uh, is to uh, go and run a pub for three years. I mean, isn't this what they'll say? For uh, Wenger talked about growing up in his, his parents' pub. Well, he didn't grow up in the pub. I mean, his, <laughs> his parents ran a pub called the... The Cross of Gold, I think it was, in Dudlinheim. And uh, the young Arsene Wenger learned so much from watching the interactions of the, you know, pa- uh, patrons in various stages of inebriation. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Jurgen Klopp, did, is it the same case with him? I'm not 100% sure on Klopp. Ferguson obviously was a pub landlord for a while uh, in Glasgow and had to knock a few heads together at times. And, you know, he developed all his social skills. Uh, you know how to uh, <laughs> how to discipline people who step out of line. You know how to front up to people who are trying to be aggressive towards you. You know the kind of um, silly chat that you make with people to make them think that they like you. You know to bring it bring a bit of warmth and a bit of glow. That could be key. That's what that's what Giggs needs to do. He should go. I mean, I know he's he owns this place with uh, Gary Neville, what like the football cafe. Oh, but that's at the stadium, isn't it? I think you've got to move out of cafe football. There's one. There's one. I think at that um, the big shopping mall. Uh, oh yeah, where is it? Westfield Shopping Mall, mm. the one by the Olympic Stadium um, in London, uh, and I think there's another one near Old Trafford. But you know, as an owner, what are you going to learn? He he needs to be there working behind the counter, dealing uh, with the you know as, as essentially staff supervisor. That would be the ideal. Plus, he's got to get it near Old Trafford is fine. I think it's almost at Old Trafford, the pub he's talking about. You've got to move just maybe 10, 15 minutes from the ground, get to some of the less salubrious parts of Manchester around there. Look, get you know, on you, get on Moss side there and just, just get, get, get in looking behind and the bar. Open, open up the doors of perception to the whole world, you know, and, every, and everything that's in it. Don't just be, 
You can't just be Mr. Manchester United superstar all your life, truly. There is a huge story that's happening in the hurling world this week before the championship even kicks off. In a few weeks' time, Limerick have lost one of their two managers. Don Grady came back in for a second stint with the county alongside TJ Ryan for this season. But he won't be there when they begin the defence of their Munster title against Tip. Nicky English is ready to talk to us. Nicky, good to chat to you again. Hi Owen, how are you? Yeah. Not, not too bad at all. I just want to actually explain what's going on here um, for people who haven't been following. I'll keep it as, as brief as I can, but there's a small bit of explaining. So there's a, a board meeting recently, some of which ended up in the media. Uh, and the, the comments uh, attributed to O'Grady and TJ Ryan, his co-manager, Donald O'Grady and TJ Ryan, were that they had apologised for abysmal displays during the league. Apparently they'd done this at this meeting. Now they say this is totally untrue. They were appalled and alarmed about the fact that these comments came out. They asked the county board to withdraw those comments. The county board agreed to do that, but rather than simply say it publicly, they wanted to issue a new statement in which the managers accept full accountability and take full responsibility for failing to achieve league promotion. And this was dragging on for 10 days. The two managers were under the impression that the morning after their meeting, there would be a very simple clarification uh, offered. Now, it, it hasn't happened and it's ended up with Donald O'Grady walking away. Um, I suppose before we start pointing the fingers of blame, is this a, a shocking story? Do you were surprised about all this? Um, well, I suppose you, you could never be surprised, really, with the uh, with the goings on, you know, in, in in Limerick over the last, you know, it's over many many years. This this has been uh, this is this has happened before. You know, you can go back right. I can remember Tom Ryan uh, as manager of Limerick being uh, being summoned in before the. Uh, Limerick County Board to answer I don't know was a twenty questions uh relation in relation to the defeat in either the Ireland of ninety four or ninety six, you know. So uh, and and a lot of this stuff I think the difficulty for, for from a Limerick perspective is a is a lot of this stuff then gets played out in the media and uh it it, it seems to be more so in Limerick than any other county that uh you know, the, the county board and, and the interaction with management of, of the hurling team gets played out on the 6-1 news or uh, all over the media. And, uh, and you know, that that's never good. I mean, there's not a lot to this. Uh, to be honest, I didn't think there's a lot to this story, but the way the way, the way way it has been, you know, initially dealt with and, uh, you know, the uh, the fact that the management even had to go into the, to the county board over uh, over league performances. Really, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure it would happen in Tipperary. To be honest, I'm not sure it has happened in you know where I'd be more familiar with. For yeah. I don't think that's ever happened. Really, to be honest with you, and, and you know Tipperary have had uh, poor leagues uh, over you know over the last 20 years but I don't think that has ever happened really you know Yeah and if we break it down here essentially what the Limerick County Board are saying is okay you know the the comments that came out from the meeting never actually took place you never apologised so we, we will state that we'll state that you never apologised for abysmal performances but what you do have to do is publicly acknowledge that it's all your fault that we didn't achieve promotion I don't know if it, it probably wouldn't happen in tip I don't know if that would happen in any should it, does a manager have to be told by his bosses to in any sport to go out and apologise on behalf of his team no, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think you know when you go back to the story when, when originally when I saw when I saw the uh, the comments uh, and the, uh, the the detail from that initial county board meeting, I, I, I did think that was. I, I said this is this is a bit this is a bit strange, and if I was putting myself into the manager's shoes, I certainly wouldn't have been over happy with it, really, to be honest. And uh, you know, I like Limerick. Limerick's performance, like. Division One B this year has been was extremely competitive, and uh, you know I, I think Lim- I saw Limerick only once, obviously, that, uh, against Cork in the first game, and and you know that was a good game down in Parky Rin where they, where they drew, and you know they were they were set sail after that, but they had a lot of injury problems during the league, and then they had Napierci who have a, a, a large contingent playing, so I'd say Limerick's league, you know, league was you know it wasn't what they wanted, they they, they weren't promoted, but at the same time, it, it wasn't all bad, I'd say, and. Uh, you know, I think that, that for me, that look from the outside, they they still are a team that could be uh, it could be very dangerous in the championship. You know, they're they're they are monster champions. Uh, they underperformed in the All Ireland semi final last year, so they'd have that uh, to drive them on. So maybe they still will be dangerous, but I think this is not helpful from the twenty five or six weeks out from the championship. O'Grady's point about this, Nicky, was that uh, the comment initial comments he felt undermined the efforts of the players and the fact that there was such a delay in clarifying the comments by the county board further undermined the, the, what the players were trying to do. Would you take that as at face value or uh, possibly as a part of it more that the manager 
felt that he had maybe lost face more so than than any effect that this might have had on the players. Would the players really care one way or the other if if the manager had or hadn't said something like that at a county board meeting? Um, and that's 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 hard question, really. I, I'd say. I I th- I think the players really wouldn't you know wouldn't be so wouldn't be so uh, worried about it really how how what what would go on at, at county board meetings but I'd say they would ultimately you know the, the, if the manager felt that he was uh, being undermined which I'd say he, you, he, Donald certainly did then that would feed that does then feed through all over the system yeah. really and uh, you know you have. The fact that you have emails going out on a Sunday night with retire with with Donald's retirement to all the players, you know it's it's not good really to be honest. They're left in a situation now where TJ Ryan has taken charge. He, he has been co-manager with Donald O'Grady, but even he has had a bit of a go at the county board. So uh, I, you say that you think that maybe they could be okay. They could regroup. They're still a, a bit out from the championship. It, how does that working relationship um, work now that the, the guy in charge has? Uh, he seems to still be on Donald O'Grady's side. The two of them have talked about it and they've decided the best thing is for him to take the role on. But uh, in fairness to him, he's been quite honest in saying that, well, you know, we, we haven't been, um, we've been maybe treated a little bit unfairly here. Yeah, well, it'll, it'll be interesting to see and, and we won't really know how it, how it works until they play Tiberi on the 1st of June. Uh, you know, there there is the possibility that, you know, that they can regroup and, and that, you know, that, that this kind of an event backs them into a corner around T, uh, the players around in, into a corner around TJ Ryan, and that they would regroup. But I, in my experience, it's always difficult uh, unless everyone is pulling together. That's county board, and I think Don O'Grady actually uh, was quoted as saying that that you know unless you have county board management players, everyone moving in the same direction, uh, you know, it's uh, it's difficult enough to win. In, in my experience, if uh, if that's happening. But if there's any little uh, any little kink or any any uh, any split in, in in the camp or any difficulty in the camp, then uh, that that makes it that makes it harder. But you know, the only time will tell that. And they still Limerick still have uh, a pretty uh, a strong team yeah. and uh, an important team. And you know, the only only time will tell how that how, how this will actually play out. Nicky, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, John. Aside from the specific nature of this story and how specific it seems to be to Limerick, I mean, Nicky says that this kind of stuff doesn't really happen that often in other counties. The more broad idea there of being told as a manager to you being dragged in and then being told you have to publicly come out and say it was all your fault. You take full responsibility for the league campaign, which Nicky says wasn't even disastrous anyway. You could kind of see why that might irk a manager in any sport. But yeah. the equivalent of Moyes being dragged in by the Glazers and being told... You're not getting fired, but you have to go out and tell everyone you did an awful job. Yeah. Just tell them you're doing a terrible, terrible job. Tom, you just made, you made a complete mess of everything. Yeah. You're really, really sorry for the mess Moyes that you've been, made. I wonder would Moyes have done that. You keep the but job. He did, the, he did that. No, but you keep the job, but you have to say, you have to take full responsibility. Well, he sent a, he sent a letter apologising to the supporters, did he not, a few weeks right. back. It was like, well, you know, we're really sorry for everything that's happened, but we pledged to work hard to try to do better. Yeah. You know, um... I don't know if, I think maybe he'd, he'd already effectively done that without it. Yeah. It's something we have discussed a couple of times in the show recently, the idea of managers apologising. Didn't Pat Lamb do it in Connacht a while back? And the whole idea of it, I don't necessarily agree with it because you're setting a precedent there and you have to apologise apologize after every bad performance. But regardless of that, if, you, if the manager chooses to do that, fine. They can do that if they want. But being told by their bosses that you must go out and, Say that you've done a bad job. It's never, it's never the most genuine type of apology. The ones that you that you <laughs> offer under duress. The I hope you've enjoyed second half of the Irish Times today. If you are listening to this, you already well, you know how to download us or how to listen to us. But tell your friends there are a bunch of options out there for them. IrishTimes.com forward slash second captains is the homepage. You can listen on Stitcher, iTunes, the SoundCloud app. Uh, if you're an Android user, maybe uh, the IPP app is the way to go there. Um, but there are a bunch of different ways. And thanks very much for for all your support, everybody who has been listening so far. Tell your friends. Second Captains at the Irish Times. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you very much. We'll chat to you later on for Second Captains Football. Take care. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.